Hi, I'm Neil Bergman. And I'm Hayley Bergman. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified, learn with simplicity, and coach clients with confidence. We're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work and that with the right structure, support and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So how do you learn, qualify and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching. How to work with non-action taking clients, season 10, episode 26. And this is the first part of a two-part training that we've done inside our Parallel Coaching Inner Circle Facebook group. So join Neil and I, and we're gonna go through the whole webinar style training, all about how you can work with clients that don't take action. And I'm sure you're gonna take a lot of information from today's session. You can also join the Inner Circle and see all the other notes and links that go alongside this using the show notes from today's podcast. So without further ado, let's dive into today's session. If you have any questions at any point, then please do follow the links because you'll also hear us talking to lots of other uh, fit pros throughout the duration of today's episode. And if you want to be part of that conversation too, then make sure you hit the link that is with the show notes and you can also send us a reply or send us your big takeaway from the session. So let's join in to today's webinar. How to work with non-action taking clients. Good morning, parallel coaching in a circulars. In a circulars. In a circulars. Is that what we would say? Yeah, maybe. Well, say... most of you joining us should be inside the parallel coaching in a circle. So drop a little comment below and let me know that you can see and hear us all okay. If you are watching this on any other platform, um, so this uh, will be recorded and used again. So if you're watching this on a recording or any other platform, notice that you will, might not see all of the comments that come through from other people, and that's okay. Um, but there will be comments coming up from this live webinar style uh, training. Say good morning. I'm just going to make sure we are live. We are live in the right group, which is a Check good, the audio is, is good. good. Let's just make sure the audio is working. So bear with me. Uh, drop a comment, say good morning, say hello. Also, and... when you do, can you notice there is a link that we need you to click to on? We are live. There is a link, um, actually, that I need you to click on, which will allow um, StreamYard to be able to see your it's profile. Okay, we can we can see it on the phone. Jim has clicked the link. So um, there's some of you that you're saying hello and good morning, which is wonderful. But when we show it up on screen, it's just going to show up as Facebook well, user. We've got Zara here. We've got Rebecca Miller. We've got Wellesley. We've got Jim Spoons. We've got Nicola Stevens and a couple of other people as well. Good morning. Wicked. Good morning. Good morning. Say good morning. Say hello. We are here to do a live training and it's called How to Work with Non-Action Taking Clients. Which was really hard for me to say to start off with, but if we're talking about that problem when clients don't take action or they promised the world that they would take action, but all of a sudden they're not anymore. Have we all been there? I would say yes, we have. So comment below with either a yes or a no and say, um, have you got or have you had clients that do not take regular action? You could even include yourself, I suppose. I'm going to put my hand up and say, I've committed to goals before. I've committed to something, but my action hasn't quite met the level of commitment that is needed to pull off a goal. So drop a comment below and say, yes, I've got clients uh, that have uh, that don't take action or no, I don't have clients. They're all, they're all spick and span and all doing uh, as they're told. Nice, simple. <laughs> yes or no. 
Um, are you a yes, they do take action, or are you a no? I don't have any clients that are, that don't take action. They're all wonderful. They're, all, they're <laughs> always going to be wonderful. But what we've got today is four key areas to go through. So we set out some key aims and objectives just to make sure that we are heading in the right direction, that we are answering that key question of how do we work with non-action taking clients. And then our first one, we're going to look at action and commitment. And then we're going to go down to point number two, which is all about readiness to change. And we need to look at some goals. We need to look at some behavior change um, principles. Then we're going to turn our heads towards why client commitment does dwindle. And it'd be great to get your thoughts on that shortly as well. Point number four is ultimately answering the question, like how do we work with non-action taking clients? And then point number five, um, we've got a little bit of a surprise for you. So hold out till the end. I also but appreciate... Four key principles. Yeah, four key principles. We also appreciate that it is the day before Easter weekend. And this training is probably going to last... 40 to 60 minutes and at the end of it we put some timestamps in so we re-edit the caption at the top in the Facebook group and we tell you some key timestamps so you can go back to at some point over the next couple of days so it would be great if you stayed for the full duration but also we appreciate that there's some chocolate eggs to consume and people do have busy lives so I would like a chocolate egg this year I would to be honest there's a, there's an, there's a commitment and an action. We've got to go and buy chocolate eggs for each other. But let's see what people are saying. We have got lots of people making comments in Lovely. here. Lovely. saying yes. Lots um, of yes. Getting frustrated with clients as well. And it can be frustrating. So let's have a look on here. Let's see what people are saying. Uh, Wellesley says, um, just training uh, chest in the gym. <laughs> Going to listen to us both whilst in the gym. There you go. Okay. Uh, Sheila says she's looking forward to this topic. We've got Katie, uh, clients and me. I'm going cool. to put my hand up. I've had clients, but non-action taking clients uh, in the past. So has Hayley. So it feels like we are uh, qualified to talk about this topic, but also we are that as well, aren't we? Everyone you know, is. Everyone is. Uh, Rebecca says yes and gets frustrated at the moment with a little monkey face holding her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of other people saying yes, definitely. So Zara, Sheila and Leanne. Wicked. So I like it. Where are we going with this first? So let's, let's first some... of all set out some aims and objectives, shall we, of what uh, we've got going on for boom. today. There so the, the plan today, what you can expect throughout today's training, is we're going to understand how to work with non-action takers. We're going to define the concepts of action and the concept of commitment. So these are two different things, action and commitment. We'll define those two different points. Um, also, we're going to explore the readiness to change in relation to clients and also programs and packages that you might put together. And we're going to understand why a client commitment dwindles and how to help restore some action. One restore. thing we're probably not going to cover today is anything to do with anatomy and physiology. <laughs> so give me a hell I bet yeah you it comes up a little. I bet you it will come up. I bet you at one point we can say I'll it. I'll do my best not to mention the word anatomy and physiology. A challenge not to. Drop as many comments below, everybody listening, and say, hell yeah, no to anatomy and physiology today. <laughs> We always hell manage yeah. to squeeze it in there. Drop a yeah. comment and say, hell yeah. No more anatomy, guys. <laughs> Don't mention it. So let's jump straight in then um, with point number one, which mm. is all about action and commitment. And these two are things that are very different to each other, yet we often think that they are the same thing and they do overlap. But I wanted to dive in real easy, real straight away with a real simple definition. So I literally went and took a definition for each of these. So first of all, Action is the process of doing something typically to achieve an aim. Now, this is really important because 
there's a key word in there's there. There's a key word. Which is aim. So just read that quote again or that definition. The process of doing something typically to achieve an aim. So the aim would be, if I'm aiming at something, I would be aiming at a dartboard, I'd be aiming at something, which would mean there must be a goal, there must be an outcome of me throwing the dart at the dartboard. There must be an outcome of me throwing something at something. And I'm aiming for something. It's in my crosshairs, it's in my line of sight, it's in my scope, and I'm aiming to hit something. So the question I have for everybody, I suppose, which is a rhetorical question is, does your client have a clear aim in order to take action towards? Or are they just doing processes, which isn't action? It's just We're gonna stuff. have to dive deeper into this one. Okay. So let's have a look at commitment and have a definition of commitment. Yeah, so commitment is the state of being dedicated to a cause. Which that cause would be your aim or your goal. Yes. So if I've got an, if I'm, if I'm going to take action, I must have this purpose of doing something towards an aim, aka the goal. Mm -hmm. And commitment had the keyword in of cause. What's my cause? Why am I doing this? What's my mission? What are they so dedicated what it, to? Know, what are they dedicated to? And so the question I have for the client, or the question I have for our us as a fit pro in terms of a consultation or ongoing behavior change work is understanding how big is our, is our client's goal how how are we what are we aiming for and how much of a cause is this is this a mission that we will do anything to get or is it a mission that is low down in our priorities which we're going to have to explore more about priorities as this unfolds to truly understand like why is the client even taking action in the first place? Like, if the cause isn't very big, then the action isn't going to be met. No. But if we can have a goal that is, that is exciting, that is fiery, that brings about a huge level of purpose and priority to us and therefore creates this cause, there's a causality behind, like, I must have this in my world, then the level of action will meet the level of commitment that the client once said they would do. Wicked. And part of that is about it being a deep goal, a deep prioritized goal, rather than that surface level goal of saying something as it pops into your head, but you don't necessarily neither need it nor want it nor want to work towards it. Um, so it's about quite often when you first meet a client, if there's not much rapport, they will often give you a surface level goal because well, it's in their language. There. I'm going to pause you there. Even with huge bouts well, of rapport, I think the client quite often will give a surface level um, objective or a surface level goal. And that surface, surface level, level goal is basically them saying, well, I can put this forward in your language because this is what you want me to say. You want me to say lose weight, get fitter. Like, but that surface level, if we go deeper, we can find out actually what it is they really want. And we're going to come back to this later when we find out about actually are you offering what your client really really wants well let's look at this but, and just think like what is a surface level goal so a client might say give me a surface uh, level i want to lose weight i want to lose weight anymore uh, i want to feel fitter i want to get fitter i want to uh, be able to run a bit, wanna a bit look harder. better wanna look better drop a comment below and think about all of the surface level goals that your clients have historically said or told you and maybe even your own goals that like i've given surface level goals to my coach before and i would say day to day some of my 
goals that I write down of what I want to do are surface level process goals. Yeah. And there's not much meaning behind it. There's not a great, there's no big aim. There's no big target board. There's nothing fiery about them. There's nothing juicy about them. And there certainly isn't any um, cause behind them or mission behind them. So then there's no reason in order to do the process of doing something. So to remember that definition. level goals are quite often what the client is aiming towards. Therefore, lacks a cause, lacks a mission, and lacks anything to really set our scope and our, our sight on aim towards i think that links into whether that reward is something like that goal that reward that they're after is something that is intrinsic that yeah. they want to achieve or something that is extrinsic as mm-hmm. well so what do i mean by that You're well no i was going to go somewhere else before we go there and just looking at our notes in terms of like what would be a deeper level goal mm. so oh. if we've looked at a surface level goal what would be the deeper level goal do you mm. know what i mean like if somebody says and, and drop someone a- says i want to get fitter then what are they really saying underneath that? So going the next question deep, what would it mean for you to get fitter? What would it look like for you to be getting fitter? Why is it important for you to get fitter now? What would change in your world if you were to tackle your fitness now? Mm. What would change in your world if you were to actually pull this off and get fitter? What does fitter actually mean to you right now? Yeah. So there's probably four or five key world-class coaching questions there that we can ask our clients to go beyond that surface level answer and then we can explore their answers and their answers are either going to be intrinsic whereby it's something personal for for them that they they think they feel that they're going to get themselves or extrinsic in respect to it's going to impact or affect somebody else outside of them so perhaps their partner their husband wife their kids their grandparents their great-grandchildren so they're doing it, their cause isn't necessarily for them, it's for somebody else's benefit as well. Ooh. And it can be a mixture of the two. They might have partly intrinsic, partly extrinsic. But yeah, no, completely. Um, however, I want you to consider that intrinsic motivators are way more powerful than extrinsic motivators, emotionally. Because so they're emotionally tied in. Tied in, completely. So we're obviously gonna have a mixture of all of them, or both of them, and we could have multiple motivators the more intrinsic they can be, the more we're doing it for ourselves, which means we can be um, selfish to be selfless, which means other people definitely benefit. Regardless, it's a byproduct. So, so what are these replies we've got? So about surface and um, deeper goals. So uh, a couple of people said they'd be disappointed if we didn't talk about anatomy. Ah. <laughs> uh, people are saying that they're going to watch back on replay. Uh, a couple of people there. And Katie says, a surface level goal could be um, to feel more confident. So let's look at that. Like, what does confidence look like for the client? So we could ask that open question, you know, what does confidence look like for you? If you were to be more confident, what would change in your day? If you I'd be to... able to go for promotion at whatever job yeah, and go for that next job interview. There's a gazillion answers. What is they the could thing give. it links to for them? What does that look like to be confident? And why do they really want that? It's different to just feeling overall confidence because actually confidence is a unique feeling or a state related to a specific situation environment and outcome so the idea here is that you have to have a very unique situation environment and outcome that that confidence is linked to one minute you could be in the environment or situation where confidence is low the next minute you could change your environment or a situation 
and your confidence be high. So confidence is an emotion just like happiness or joy. And so one minute I can be happy, the next minute I can be sad. The next minute I could be over the moon and ecstatic. I get a phone call and I could be in deep tears. Confidence goes up and down as quickly as, you know, swings and roundabouts. So the question would be is like, well, if a client says the service level goal, I want to be more confident, what does that actually mean to the client? Why is it important to be more confident? Where would they be more confident during their day? Is there a particular situation they want to be more confident in? Is there a particular environment they're not yet confident in, but they would like to be? And so exploring their their action, their goal, their aim, what they're aiming for in deeper with deeper questions allows the client to become more intrinsically attached to their cause or extrinsically attached to their cause, which is linking action and commitment to the very thing they're going after. And I want us to consider that clients that dwindle in their action and, and commitment aren't attached to their aim, their goal, and aren't attached to their mission, their cause, as deeply as they could be. And and part of that, like being attached to a cause, you would expect someone to be able to say that they are well committed to a situation. So a simple question that you could ask your clients as you're opening this out in your consultation and finding out about their goals is to ask, how do you feel on a scale of one to 10? How committed do you feel to achieving this goal on a scale of one to 10? And this Likert scale is really powerful because you're basically saying, one is not committed at all. 10 is I'm really super committed. I'd do anything possible to get there, basically. So where do they sit on this commitment scale? Now, it's not just the answer that is uh, useful here. So then turn around and say five. It's not just the five that is useful. And you go, that's lovely. Thank you. I'll move on to the next question. It's the follow-up question. It's the follow-up question, which is what we call a decisional balance. So why did you choose a five? and not a six, or why do you choose a five and not a four? And these become really powerful ways of polarizing why they chose or extracting more information about why they chose that number. And they might either change that number, or at least you start to find out what a 10 out of 10 commitment is for them. And you might have to just tweak the goal slightly so they could feel that the the goal is something they can get excited about that is within their expectations that they are committed to, rather than something that they're not really that bothered about. And to add on to that, as you're talking about or, or adding in a Likert scale of one to 10, take the very words that they used about their goal, take the very words that they've used about the deeper answers to the deeper questions. Why was it important? So on a scale of one to 10, how important is it for you to change or take action right now? One or zero being not very important, 10 being hugely important. And then say, you know, I I don't really want you to sit on the fence of a five. You're either a four or a six or below or above. Okay, so you're you're coaxing them towards making some kind of meaningful justification behind their number. So they might Mm -hmm. say four. And you say, cool. So you've chosen a four. Why did you not choose a one? You could actually help them justify why there is some level of action or importance by choosing a four. Mm -hmm. Now they justify by why they scored that and not a one. And say, you know, conversely, why did you choose a four and not a seven in terms of importance? Everything you've been talking to me so far implies that it is important, but you've scored quite low still. Why is that? And you're going to coax more information out of them, more data, more, I suppose, ammunition for you to then go and put back in the line of fire for your client 
to go and aim at their cause. Well, it's leverage, isn't it? It's leverage. You're literally saying one, yeah. It's leverage. Yeah, you're being able to leverage the things that they said are important to them, the reasons why they're committed, not only for then and there during that consultation or during that chat, but also like four weeks down the line, eight weeks down the line. You said that this was... You and were, isn't that what like commitment yeah. is? It's, it's doing the work long after the move that you said you would do the work in. Oof. So in the moment, it's quite, you know, words are quite cheap, aren't they, to be honest? You know, we can say in the moment, we can be in a really good mindset and say, like, oh, I'm really committed, it's really important, it's massive priority, I've got to take action, I've got to take action. But then four weeks down the line, you're not in the same mood that we first said that commitment mm. change talk in. And so the deeper we go with our questions and coax out, why is this important right now? Why is it of value right now? Why is it of a priority right now? What will change in your world going forwards? How will that impact your day? How will it will impact your wife's day, your husband's day? How will it will impact your work day? And the more leverage we can find, we've got more ammunition to come back or more change talk. Let's, let's, let's use the word change, change talk. talk. They're, they're actually, I suppose, elegantly convincing themselves why they should take action. I can't convince anybody to take action. You can't convince anybody to take action. We can't save any one of our clients. The only person that can truly save themselves is themselves. And so if you or we ask deeper, more meaningful, more purposeful questions towards their goal, they've now going through a series of conversations in their mind, verbalizing it to you. And in doing so, that change talk elicits huge levels of commitment and huge levels of action which are long lasting than the than the kind of the honeymoon phase of signing up to a program mm. which is why if we look at this let's commitment. look at this it's why Haley and i reach out to pretty much every learner on a weekly and sometimes bi-weekly three times a week basis from the moment you sign up to a course because if we can get the change talk, if we can get the commitment and action during the early stages of you deciding to do a course or you deciding to say, yep, yeah, this is actually what I'm, I want to go after. Then on the sales call, there's huge levels of change talk and a number of you listening have signed up to a course with us before. It allows yourself to go through that behavior change process from being, I'm preparing to do a course to I'm in this course. I'm, I'm ready. Doing I'm doing it. It's not I'm going to I'm complete going it by to, this time. It's, I'm in it and I'm yeah. ready to I'm starting. In fact, I've started. And then by constantly coaxing that change talk two, three, four times a week with regular content, added value like this inside the Facebook group. Now, the podcast, the various emails you get about your course, we're constantly reminding you of the mood that you set your initial goal in. And now you can have that situation and environment anytime you like to go, I'm still committed. I'm, I'm still I'm in action. I'm still heading towards my And mission. change talk is essentially that you're articulating all the reasons why you're ready to change, which makes it more likely that you will change in comparison to if I instead spent all my time saying about why I'm not going to achieve a goal, all I would do is believe why I'm not going to achieve it. Mm. So our aim is to really 
encourage our clients to talk more about change talk and articulate reasons for changing, reasons for moving forward, reasons for taking action, um, and get that deeper and focused onto their causation and their we goal. We can all find reasons not to take action. It's super goddamn easy to find a reason why I'm not going to do something. It's harder to find a reason to do it. And it's our role to use the Likert scales to help them find reasons to take action. And you could do this. You don't necessarily have to do this in consultation one or two um, or at the beginning of a, of a program. You could use this every single day with a client. You're next to the treadmill. Remind them of their change talk that they said two weeks ago. Yeah. You could be out for a walk. You could be swinging cowbells. You could be on a rest time. You could be in a WhatsApp group. You could be doing a Q&A. But the more you remind your client of their scores and has their score changed on this Likert scale or this one to 10 or one to seven or whatever mm. scale you want to use, you're constantly reminding them of the mood and the situation and the environment that they first set their goal in. So don't see it as a tool that is used once at the beginning. See it as a tool that you constantly sharpen and every time you deploy it to the client, you're sharpening that tool and you're coaxing them back in and reminding them of all the reasons why they said they were going to do what they were going to do. Love it. So comment below and um, with a yes or no, do you implement any Likert scale questions? That's that on a scale of one to 10, how committed are you to achieving this goal? Do you do any Likert style questions with your clients? Really simple, yes or no. I would also add before we move on to point number two, that when you're doing a Likert scale, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence to back this up as well. That a client must score above a seven of commitment, readiness, action, uh, worthiness, belief, importance, and priority. So you don't necessarily have to use all of them uh, because it would depend on the client's goal. But certainly commitment, it has to be above a seven out of ten um, in order to say that they are going to take meaningful action. And it's our job through change talk and develop this discrepancy and say, you scored a four. Why didn't you score a six? Mm. Well, actually, based on that, they justify it. They give you some reasons. You now pull out some of their key comments. You summarize back to them. And you could even, for a better word, somewhat put, not words in their mouth, but say, it sounds to me like you are more committed than you, than you suggest at a four. Would you like to change your answer or could you change your answer? If you were to change your answer, what would you change it to? They might go a six, and I go, well, why not a seven? What would it take? What would it take That's to go question. to a seven? What would you need from me to go from a four to a six to a seven today? Mm. What would I have to do differently as a coach in order to get you to a seven? Likewise, conversely, what would you have to do as a coachee in order to say a seven is achievable and realistic today? What would change in your day in order to go from a four to a six to a seven? Like right now, let's not pussyfoot around the problem. Let's not say I could I could just give you a seven as a number. And if that's what you want to hear, I'll say it for you. I'm not after that. I'm after that coaching. What would have to change in your world? What would I have to do differently as your coach to get you from a four to a six to a seven or beyond? Yay. And lots of people saying that they do use their Leica scale. So we've got um, Graham, Caroline, Rebecca, Nikki, um, Caroline says it's her favorite question. 
And Katie says, I use those scales a lot. I find them really useful. Uh, I need to use them more later on once we're already working together, mm-hmm. as that's when I find the reality of the hard work for change hits. Yes, exactly. um, And they revert back to well-known habits and behaviors. And I think this is where the coach shows up because being a coach is not necessarily the easiest job in the world and it can be uncomfortable because let's think like four, five, six weeks into a client's plan, we've got huge rapport, we've got big, big trust, we know the client, we've had a few jokes, we've had some banter, we're almost like friends to a degree, do you know what I mean? But that's when it becomes tougher to have a coach to show up and, and ask that question. You said you were a seven. It doesn't, your actions don't merit the seven right now. What do you need from me in order to take you back to that seven? What changed? And what what do you need from me? And that's where I suppose the tough love coach could come out in your own unapologetically you coaching style. Yeah, nice. And go from there. Love it. And the Likert scale is a really good way of doing that. That's wicked. So it's nice to know so many of you do it. But that leads us nicely on to the second point, which is looking at readiness to change. And I know we've spoken about this on the podcast, the sessions a lot. I know we've spoken about it on on quite a bit of the uh, content we give out. But readiness to change is looking at this trans-theoretical model and understanding that there is a cycle or a karmic loop in which people go through um, in order to challenge their behavior and assess their readiness to change. So as a quick reminder, those five stages, in fact, comment below. Do you know them? What are the five stages to readiness to change? So big question. It doesn't matter if you get it right. It doesn't really matter if you get it wrong. If you get a couple of stages, fine too. Even if you write just a couple of the stages down or one stage of that transferetical model, drop a comment below. And if you're listening on replay or if you're listening on the replay on another platform, and you can't write this down, for example, through iTunes or Spotify, just recall that transferential model through your mind and think, right, what are the five stages? Because I think this model is somewhat mis, uh, misinterpreted. This model is is underplayed in the, inside the PT course. I think it's, it's used as, so often so early on that people yeah. go, oh, it's such a basic, we don't need that, or I can't, they can't apply it to actually working with the client so it becomes one of those things that stays as theory um but let's go through these these uh different stages so the first stage get my hand in 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 view is pre-contemplation okay what? so pre-contemplation is Haley. pre-contemplation <laughs> is whereby the the client is not even thinking that they need to change or that the item of change that goal is for them so I like to use the analogy of um, imagining that you are a fit pro and you're giving out leaflets at the side of the road to um, different passers-by. Someone in pre-contemplation wouldn't even take that leaflet because they don't even think that the gym or joining you as a PT or Pilates or yoga is even relevant. They're like, not, that's not for me, that's for that person over there. That doesn't even have an inkling in their mind, that's pre-contemplation. Then as they go through, contemplation is stage number two. And contemplation is whereby they kind of think, oh, I could change, or what would that look like to change? So they're kind of flirting with the idea of changing. And if that was that leaflet example, they might take it and have a little look at it. They might even keep the leaflet, you'd never know. Um, But as somebody moves into preparation stage, Preparation stage is whereby they are now actively preparing to take action, but they actually haven't taken any action yet. 
It's a lot of actually and actives and actions. So inside preparing, you could be an early preparer, Mm. a mid preparer or a late preparer. So a late preparer is, you know, somebody that has gone down to the local gym. they've, They've reached out to you personally as a fit pro. They have taken some level of action, but they haven't fully committed yet. So they could be a late preparer, mm. which moves us on to action. And so, someone who is in preparation in that leaflet example would basically take the leaflet. They would be able to then prepare by literally phoning up or booking in your call and or they've bought their sports bra ready for the session. That's a pre- preparation. But action is whereby they are actually now actively doing the things that will allow them to get a response or move towards the goal. So they have to actually be doing the sessions. For six months, believe it or not, they have to be doing or meeting the guidelines to health, well-being, fitness and nutrition for three to six months to be classed as an action taker. Yeah. And then after six months, they become maintenance, which is the final stage. Um, And at any point in any of these, they can relapse. So they might go from maintenance back to action or they might go maintenance all the way back down to pre-contemplation. But anyway, a variety of studies that also talk about, you know, once you reach a level of maintenance, do you become uh, a pre-contemplator to the very next thing? Because inside maintenance you are i suppose going through the motions it's automatic it's autonomic you don't need to think about that task anymore and isn't that the same uh kind of thoughts feelings and emotions of a pre-contemplator where they're not thinking about it anymore Mm. yeah so there we go and that can often be the case is that you're working with your client let's just say you're doing an eight-week program with your client and we know we said about commitment dwindling they lose sight of their goal is they that them just relapse. relapsing, sliding back into different parts of the trans theoretical model? And Less. that's where we need to have those those uh, decisional balances. We need to develop more discrepancy. We could use our motivational interviewing toolbox to, you know, get that change talk back to a level of action. But here's the question I've got for you, uh, and I hope I'm not jumping a gun. As a fit pro, I've been guilty of this. I want to work with action takers. And so I devise and I put together an ideal program that says, right, you're going to do two to three sessions per week. I'm going to challenge your nutrition like this. I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to sit inside a WhatsApp group or a Facebook group. We're going to do these live trainings. And it's all action, action, action. It's all rah, rah, rah. It's all about you said you were committed at a seven out of 10. I'm going to treat you like go, you go, said go. 10 out of 10. And it's too full on. Now, I want you to consider that the vast majority of clients sit inside a preparer, late preparer, or early action stage. So if my coaching style is go, 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 10 out of 10 commitment, but my clients don't match that, have I set clear expectations myself of what I expect from a client? Mm. Does the client have clear expectations of what they want for themselves? But also, does my program actually work for my client? Mm. Have I got a discrepancy inside my program structure and the clients that are going through it? So think about your ideal client and who's coming into your program and how you've designed your program. Is it for those that are just taking massive action, already taking action and they're topping up their continual knowledge and they're already dedicated? Or is it that they actually need a bit of a kickstart? They need to learn for the first time how to make these steps forwards. And in making those little baby steps forwards, that's not 
a less valuable program. If anything, it's more valuable because it actually matches where they're at. And a key point of behavior change is that somebody has self-efficacy. They need to believe that they can do it and that their likelihood of achieving it is high. The higher that is, the more likely they move up through the trans theoretical model and they become more and more action takers. So actually, if you had a program that was a kickstart that was designed to build someone's self-efficacy slowly and gradually Across build them like four up. four weeks or six weeks. Gradually build them up. Then they're at the point that could be right for the client that is in pre-contemplation, contemplation, moving into preparation. Preparation, really. They're prepared to now get started, but they just need a little bit more hand-holding than someone that's like, go, go, go. So and it matches their expectations. A personal experience, when I run my 5am club boot camp, I sold it as a 28-day reboot or a 28-day kickstart. And the whole content behind those first 28 days was assisting the client to go from a mid-preparer to mm. an early action taker. And then they started the program at the end of week four, the end of week 20, uh, day 28. And then they went into either a one, two or three beyond month um, continuity plan, which was all about action. But rather than go straight into action, 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 all I was concerned with is how do I keep you in action? I don't want you to relapse. So the first 28 days was just about rebooting from where you are now. And if we look at motivational interviewing and the trans theoretical model, and we break down those constructs, one of the key constructs is empathy. It's to see life through the client's eyes. It's to jump inside their mm. shoes and see life how they see their day. And if their day is a mid-preparer, it's hugely daunting for me to then expect as a coach to go, we're in action, action, action. And, and you, so, oh, yeah, go for it. You, go for and it. you can't drag your client up. You can't kind of literally like save put a rope down and like drag them up into the next stage. They have to do that with your support, but they have to do the legwork. So if you have non-action takers as your ideal client, for example, but you're giving them something that requires a bit more action, a bit more self-dependency, that they actually can get up and go and do it themselves then this will become a sapping point. They literally sap your energy, your level of action, your level of commitment, because you're trying to drag this person through the mud up to the next stage. And all they're doing is like sitting there waiting to be dragged. And it's too high a level for them. Like what if we met them where they were at and actually the programs we were designed were carefully chosen for the client that is in them and the client is chosen for the right program so they don't get switched around they don't get mixed up which means that great point. it saves you a load of energy and effort and that horrible niggly feeling of am i doing the best for them that they're still not getting it am i doing the best in, for them inside the fit pro 31 which is now called fit progressions we've got this one of the models in there it's a pyramid and it's called a chet holmes pyramid and we link the chet holmes pyramid which is all about sales but towards the transferetical model and at any one point, roughly 3% of people are ready to buy your service. So if you went into Tesco's now and you pulled out 100 people, three of them are going to say, yep, sign me up. They're in a state of late preparer in action. Now, a further kind of like 7 to 9%, okay, would be, again, firmly inside preparing or late preparer. So we could firmly say we could coax maybe definitely three out of 100, but maybe seven, maybe nine or 10 out of 100 across and say, wicked, they're clients now. But the other 90%, the other 90 people, okay, are early preparers and contemplators. Mm. My question to, to, 
to you is, would you rather in your marketing and your sales and in your reboot programs, go after 90% of the market, okay? Or for fit pros to scrabble across the top uh, echelons of what, is that the right word? Echelons, Echelons of three to 7%. I'd much rather go after the 90%. It's a much bigger fish pond to go and fish in than the 3% of the top. And now you can slowly, slowly, catchy monkey, elegantly take people through an ascension model that says, right, this program is four weeks and it's just about kickstarting and rebooting. It's so straightforward. And the likelihood of achieving it is, is 10 out of 10. Commitment level, easy. You're not going to relapse. It's so straightforward. Anyone can do it. And then the next the next package could be an eight-week um secondary package on top of that that takes them into the full early action stage sets it in stone it sets it in stone but they've done the prerequisite work mm. and then if you get someone then, that's still really struggling they could repeat those four weeks right um ray says that's really um clever he likes it he says um that's really clever neil four weeks to get into it he also says there's a lot of beginner beginners out there there's a lot of beginner beginners beginners now, Hayley used the word likelihood. Now, there's four principles to signing up a client and getting a client in your program in the first place. I'll only explore one of them because Hayley has uh, mentioned it. One of those is the likelihood of them succeeding, which is self-efficacy, which is another construct of a transferetical model. Do they believe that the likelihood of success is possible? If they are a seven or above in that Likert scale of likelihood, yes, seven or above, then they will take action and sign up to your service. If as long as they're not just giving the you that service, number because they know yeah, it's no, what you want. It's a genuine, honest answer. Yeah. If it's below the seven, the likelihood goes down. So my question would come down to the fit pro as well. If a client dwindles in their, in their action, have they reduced their, their thoughts, feelings, and emotions of the likelihood that there will be a result mm. to be pulled off? So they they get some self-doubt. They get some self-doubt about the program or about their, themselves in the program of whether or not they could pull this result off. What's the likelihood of it happening? If I knew that the likelihood of me pulling off my goal goes down, I'm not going to take action. Yeah. Same with anyone else. And then the ability to take action or not take action is basically a behavior. It's what we're talking about, isn't it? A behavior sure change, a behavior to do something. But if somebody doesn't do something... That is still a behavior. It's something we can see. Yes. So I want to take this feeling of this, or the last thing Neil said about yeah. self-efficacy, and I want to show you another model. So this model is an iceberg model. So imagine you've got an iceberg. Looking through the gap. <laughs> you've got to give us a laugh, the emoji for um, that. Imagine you've got Come an on. iceberg. Now, on the iceberg, you've got a little bit poking out the water, but there's a load of it underneath the water that you can't see. Now, the same applies for us. The bit poking at the top is going to be our behaviors. That's the stuff that we can see. Now, remember, that means our actions we take and the actions we choose not to do. So it's what things we do and things we don't do. But as we go under the water, that's our values, our beliefs, our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. So all of this stuff is underneath. Now, we don't see that. We can't see our clients' values or beliefs. All we can see is their behaviors that reflect their values and beliefs. So when they choose to do something or they choose not to do something, both are a reflection of the values and beliefs they have under the water. Now, our 
idea as a fit pro or our concept as a fit pro that you need to go and do is feel like you're like Sherlock Holmes out there drawing a sea and not that he would have clues under the water <laughs> who would do that I don't know someone who's going to inspect and find out and find clues basically so we're going to look at our clients behaviors and look for clues as to what the beliefs the values the emotions the thoughts are that are under the water that we can't see the more behaviors they do the more we're like oh they value doing this the less of those behaviors they do we're like they don't value that if i asked or if i got Holmes. my client to do a seven day recall or a 72 hour recall or a 24 hour recall of all of the tasks that they did or actions that they did in the last 24 hours 72 hours or or seven days that would give a very clear reflection of their thoughts, feelings, and emotions of below the water on the iceberg. Mm. Because our thoughts, feelings, and emotions determined our behaviors or how we act. And those are the facts. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And this links to what we say as well. So what we say and what we do are often different things. Yes. So there is a discrepancy. What do we say? What like, do we what? say? <laughs> uh, what what a client, what one says. Um, there's a discrepancy between words and action, which I think is often the problem when people believe that commitment dwindles. Cheap, right? So they say, yes, I'm 100% committed. I'm 10 out of 10. I'm here. But then the action doesn't match it. And that's because the words they said originally weren't a true reflection of what was under the water of their values and their beliefs. Which comes back to having a very solid consultation one or two. Those could be two individual sessions. It could be the same session, but ultimately a deep dive into the top of the iceberg of how they've currently been acting or behaving um, to got them into this current status through to what's below the iceberg of what's their values, their beliefs, their priorities, what do they believe to be true about themselves, what's happened in the past. And this can be, I suppose, somewhat verge into people are going to say it's life coaching. I want you to consider that personal training, if I had a pie, we had icebergs <laughs> ice a minute ago, and now pies. we've got pies, okay, and we had 360 degrees, and every degree on this pie, 360 of them, reflected one tool or one thing you did as a fit pro, standing next to them teaching them a squat or a kettlebell or a tricep or a giant set only actually equates for about, I worked it out and I went through the whole PT syllabus, only works out to be roughly 29% of the pie. The rest of it is all to do with behavior, behavior change, and, and how you show up as a fit pro and professionalism. Mm. And so my question to, to, to everyone on here, whatever your modality is, PT, Pilates, yoga, boot camp, a spinner, I don't mind, swingers, kettlebell person, I don't mind what you do, but you've got to consider that actually you are a personal coach, a personal trainer. You are training them in the realm of exercise, non-structured exercise, nutrition, mindset, behavior change, lifestyle advice, well-being. health advice, well-being. That in its own right is you're coaching them how to have a well-rounded, balanced life that allows them to be healthy, have good well-being, and have good fitness status. Yeah. Lovely. And to cap this off, I want to ask you a question. So you've got a comment below. Um, for principle two, I want you to comment below, where do the vast majority of non-action-taking clients sit in the trans-theoretical model? We had pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, action and maintenance. maintenance. Where do you reckon most of the clients are? Well, just stick a, a one-word answer in Even there. if you're on replay, just drop an answer below. The question is, where do the vast majority of non-action-taking clients sit in the team? 
ETM or the trans-theoretical model. Some good comments coming in. I think it's a good point and how Hayley finished up. You know, what people say and do are very different things, aren't they? And so really assessing what's above this, in this iceberg at the top of the water versus what's below. And it's our job. We should be comfortable and confident and knowledgeable as a fit pro to go below that iceberg and challenge them on their beliefs, challenge them on their values, challenge them on their priorities and lift well-being, health, nutrition, exercise, non-structured exercise, higher up their priority list, higher up their values list, higher up their beliefs list so that they do take action. Somebody that doesn't take action doesn't prioritize health, well-being, nutrition, and fitness. Somebody mm. that doesn't take action, doesn't believe or see the likelihood of them pulling off this result inside the conversation of nutrition, exercise, non-structured nutrition, whatever you want to be. Yeah. So it's our job as a fit pro to bump up genuinely. The clients, genuinely to bump up the clients' beliefs about their goal. Beliefs about their goals and their belief that they could do it, and also to educate them along the way so that they can uh, challenge their own values and beliefs. The answer for everyone else <laughs> where do the vast majority of clients sit in the TTM model? I'm going to go with the vast majority pre contemplator, contemplators, and preparers. Okay? In particular, preparers, because at this point, they've actually, if they're clients, then the chances are they're at least preparing. And actually, Rebecca Miller just had a great comment that could also be maintenance because something else comes along and things are pushed down the priority list, which mm. is kind of what we were saying earlier. In the, the more time you spend in terms of maintenance, are you not a pre-contemplator? And therefore, the very thing that you were going to take action over actually goes down your priority list and you start to relapse. It's nice. a great point. It's a very good point. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to join in with the conversation, then remember you can click the link that is alongside the show notes and that will mean you can join us inside the inner circle and also send us a message. We will see you for part two, which will be on Monday. And if you have any questions in the meantime, remember to reach out. But thank you for joining us. See you for part two. Hi, I'm Neil Bergman. And I'm Hayley Bergman. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified, learn with simplicity, and coach clients with confidence. We're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work, and that with the right structure, support, and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So how do you learn, qualify, and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching.